This is a recording made in the chapter of the open book and is number seven of the series entitled Glory. We have looked at the word and its meaning. We have looked at its use in certain phases. We still have in front of us one or two other aspects before we are finished with it. Before we are finished with it, I said. That's rather saying more than any one of us could say at this moment. We are going to consider particularly this evening the aspect of the second coming of Christ as it has to bear upon the church of the present glorious dispensation of the mystery. But I think it's wise for us to remember that the whole goal of God, whether it be earth or heaven, whether it be church or kingdom, whether it be body or bride, is summed up in that word glory. There is a passage in the Old Testament which speaks of the temple. It says, every whit of it uttereth glory. Every whit of it. Not merely the holiest of all. Not merely the place where the worshippers assemble. Not merely the porch where they enter. Not merely the foundations on which it stands. Not merely the top stone, but every whit of it. And so from beginning to end of the word of God, from beginning to end of the great redemptive work of Christ, there is this emphasis upon the fact that ultimately, glory is the goal. And do remember, that glory is not just one phase only. We are reminded in, in connection with the teaching of scripture concerning resurrection. There is one glory of the sun. There is another glory of the moon. There's another glory of the stars and one star differs from another star in glory. So it won't be one dazzling sort of something that's the same everywhere you look. Oh my! It's going to be individual as well. It's beyond our ability to understand except we bow in the presence of the word of God and say out of a true heart I have not seen nor ear heard neither hath it entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. And so we are looking at the aspect of glory this evening as it particularly refers to the hope of the church, of the one body. But I should be wrong to say there is no glory in connection with the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to be king, in the name of the Lord and reign over this earth, for that will be glory. The kingdom prayer, thy kingdom come, is waiting for that day. Or when we think of the heavenly Jerusalem as related to the second sphere of blessing, not merely the earth, but the heavenly Jerusalem, the glory of that city is revealed and described and it's almost too good to be true to think a city could ever be like it and look like it. And then we come to our own calling. And glory is written as the one title to describe the sphere in which we shall be blessed when the Lord takes us to be with himself. So let us consider some of these things that are written for our learning. 
I quote from the epistle to the Colossians as the passage which is to guide us. Chapter 3. Chapter 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, and do remember that if doesn't mean doubt. Sometimes it does, but sometimes it's the if of argument. That is to say, seeing, taken for granted that you have been, now this should follow. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth, on the right hand of God. We're not left guessing, are we? Things above. But things above would lose their attraction, surely, if we couldn't say, and that is where Christ is. I think we'd rather be on the earth if he was here than up in glory if he was not there. But that's never going to be that predicament. How he can be in more than one place at a time is beyond our ability to understand or try to describe. But wherever his people, whether they are the earthly kingdom, whether they're the bride of the Lamb, or whether they're the members of the body of Christ, where he is will be glory for them. And so we have here, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, not merely you are dead, but you died. That's your association with it. And I think this is a very solemn truth, that it's no use anyone contemplating glory who cannot be associated with that death that put away sin and its degradation and its condemnation. And so we have here, seek your affection, and the word affection doesn't mean our word today of liking somebody. It's more the word that we use when we say it's so-and-so's bent. Somebody has a bent for this and a bent for that. I don't mean they're going round the bend, but it means there's something very characteristic of them. I wonder whether that's true of you and me. That it's characteristic of us. That our thoughts are on things above. Where Christ sitteth. Don't quote it or misquote it. Where Christ is. Where Christ sitteth. And don't forget that sitting in the New Testament doesn't mean resting. It means authority. Our Saviour said of the Pharisees and the scribes, they sit in Moses' seat. Well, that meant to say they were usurping the authority that was given to Moses. And in the book of the Revelation, I saw thrones and they sat upon them. That is to say they are taking the rule and the reign that was connected with the throne. So here we have the emphasis, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. We have wonderful puzzles, don't we, about these things? We heard just now from our brother who gave the notices of the falling asleep of dear Mr. Cousins. But this has got something to say about him, friends. His life is hid. Not lost. His life is hid with Christ in God. How? 
That's beyond me to explain. Just what it fully means, I may not be able to say. But here we have a, a safe deposit if ever there was one. Could there be a safer place in the whole creation of God for your life to be hid? It's untouchable, isn't it? Oh, what a relief to think that that is so of our dear ones. When they fall asleep in Christ, their life is hid with Christ in God. Then comes the day of revelation from that. And when Christ, it repeats it, who is our life, no reference here to burial or the grave, that's all a part of it. But we're beyond that, already thinking of what Christ is to us. He's the safety during the waiting period. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also, or ye also, appear with him in glory. Well, there's the way in which the word glory comes in connection with that blessed hope which is before the believer. Appear with him in glory. If we notice now in the earlier chapter of this epistle to the Colossians, we shall find this. Chapter 1, 23. Chapter 1.23 If ye continue in the faith grounded and be, and be not and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. There's the hope of the gospel entrusted to this man and made known through him. Then we follow in verses 24 down to 28 a reference to the mystery. And there we have these words. Verse 24, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister. So we're now dealing with a church of the one body associated with Paul in the dispensation of the mystery to fulfill or complete the word of God, even the mystery which has been hid. So now we've got another word, another reference to the word hid. Your life is hid with Christ in God. And this calling of yours in connection with this mystery, that also hath been hid from ages and from generations and now is made manifest to his saints and you are going to be made manifest with him in glory. Surely the very words repeated mean to say we connect them. Oh yes. Because this manifestation in glory is the consummation of the manifestation of the mystery. And the fact that it was hid is only echoed again by the fact your life is hid. It's not accidental that these are repeated. It's only emphasizing the relationship between the calling and the hope. Well, that makes me stop for a minute when I come to the epistle to the Ephesians. He prays for the believer that they know what is the hope of their calling. Not merely what hope is, 
But what is the hope of your calling? And then when he comes in the practical section to tell you about the unity of the Spirit, it's put there right in the centre, or nearly the centre. The one hope of your calling. So we are warned not to make a mere generalisation that the hope of all God's people is the second coming of Christ. That is true. But that second coming of Christ is related to the different spheres in which that glory will be enjoyed. And we may lift out from the scriptures one word that gives us a sort of a key or compels us to see that there are spheres that must be kept separate. I refer to the word adoption. It's not time and necessary in this meeting to go over the meaning of the word adoption, except that it means to be made the heir. And I quote Ephesians, where it speaks about the adoption, predestinated unto the adoption, predestinated unto the inheritance, but it repeats itself. Well now, the, the adoption constitutes, uh, constitutes the member of the family in a very special position as the firstborn, not merely the first to be born, but the firstborn in dignity. And in Romans the ninth chapter, when the apostle is enumerating the peculiar blessings that belong to Israel, he said to them pertain the adoption. First thing he mentions. And then the next is, and the glory, as though it's associated with it. Now Israel's glory, in connection with that adoption, will be when they enter into their glorious calling and become a kingdom of priests on the earth and a blessing to the people among whom they will minister. But then we have the adoption in the epistle to the Galatians and that is ministered to both Jew and Gentile together. And in that particular epistle, he speaks of Jerusalem, which is above, which is the mother of us all. A heavenly Jerusalem is there associated with that adoption. And then the epistle of the Colossians takes us to where Christ sits at the right hand of God, far above all principality and power. So at least we can see with this word adoption, there is an indication that we have three spheres of blessing. The earth, the heavenly city, and the far above all. And Christ is the one for which they all wait for their blessings to be consummated. Now, it's not for me to be attempt to prophesy, but there's every possibility that the hope of the church of the body of Christ will take place first. Because it's going to be manifested with him, not in the air, not on the Mount of Olives, but in glory. You see, we have got the little indication in the Scriptures, not merely that there is a glory associated with his coming and the hope of his people, but it has a locality. Our Saviour was seen going up from the Mount of Olives, disappeared. Cloud received him out of their sight. And while they stood gazing up and wondering what it could mean, there stood an angel and said, This same Jesus, 
whom we have seen go into heaven, shall so come in like manner. And we go to the prophecy of the Zechariah, his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. Well, if we were there, it would be very wonderful and blessed, but we're not going to be there, friends, as far as I can see. And then what Thessalonians 4? They meet the Lord in the air. And there are those, of course, who say that is the hope of the church of the one body. But if you notice the context, it's always well to lift to give the context of a word as well as the word itself. He said, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. So he's coming out of heaven. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. Now why the archangel? Well, who is the archangel? Oh, you say, I know, the archangel is Michael. True, says so. But Daniel... Chapter 12 says that Michael, the archangel, stands for the children of Israel. And there's going to be a resurrection in connection with that. Standing for the children of Israel. Well now, 1 Thessalonians 4 is associated still then with the kingdom side of things. Although they were believers, that constituted the church at Thessalonica. And then we have the passage here before us in Colossians. Set your affection on things above. Where Christ sitteth, on the right hand of God. Now we know that is the goal before us with regard to our hope in Ephesians. We're definitely there so associated with him that we have died with him. We've been buried with him. We've been quickened with him. We've been raised with him. And that's not all. We are seated with him, potentially, where he now sits. Not on the Mount of Olives. Not in the New Jerusalem, but where he now sits, at the right hand of God, far above all principality and power and might and dominion. These words we say so glibly, oh, what do they mean? We should be paralysed by the glory that waits us, were it not, we are going to be in Christ, and in him forever, and with him, and with him forever. And may they accept it in that, beloved, and covered by his righteousness, and completely washed and sanctified and presented, presentable in that blinding, searching light of God's presence. In glory. Well now we, we say then, first of all, in this Colossians 1, 23, we have the hope of the gospel. Then we have in verses 23 to 28, the ministry of the mystery. And then it comes back again, 27, 28, once more to the hope. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory. This is emphasizing, isn't it? Not merely that God would make known what is the glory. That's wonderful enough. But what is the riches of the glory of this mystery? Don't you pity those folks who do a sort of a shrug and a sniff and say, boy, you've got the mystery on the brain. It's so wonderful. No wonder we've got it on the brain in a sense. Look at it. This mystery, which the Apostle lived and died for, to make known, is associated with riches of glory. And then it says, the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. 
Why is that? Why stress that? Why? Because this is the very character of Paul's prison ministry. The poor people of Israel have been given their opportunity in the Acts of the Apostles. And in the last chapter of the Acts we find an all-day conference with the leaders of the Jews and blindness settled down upon the people of Israel and the salvation of God was sent unto the Gentiles and then starts the present dispensation of that secret purpose. And so we have it here. The very fact that Christ is ministered among the Gentiles. Christ in you or among you. Not merely Christ dwelling in your heart by faith, but the sheer fact that Christ is among you, preached by this man and believed by you. He came and preached peace to those who were afar off. He came. I don't know how he came, but there's the emphasis. It's Christ among you. Gentiles, the hope of glory, whom we preach. So there we have in the chapter 1, the hope of glory. And then after he's dealt with it in chapter 2, with all the possibilities of being cheated of some of these things, he comes back again, and we read, If he then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. The word appear is the translation of a word which we become used to by the word epiphany. Epiphania. Epi, upon... And the other part of the Greek word means to shine. And so, it, the word appear in the English language now suggests a movement. You suddenly appear. But it's not quite the meaning of the word epiphania. It means suddenly to be manifested, like a great blaze of outshining glory. That was some idea of appearing, but a little bit more. And so it says, put the word again, when Christ, who is our life, shall be made manifest. Now, what does that suggest? Then shall we be made manifest with him in glory. Does it suggest that the right hand of God is not yet seen by all the holy angels in heaven? We know he's there, henceforth expecting to make his enemies his footstool. He's waiting for the when he shall be made manifest in glory. And when he is made manifest in glory, to the church of the one body, friends, you'll be there. Now please, don't ask me how you're going to get there. Not one of us knows. There have been some extraordinary things in our newspapers of this last week of somebody floating about outside one of these missiles in space. They are just the endeavours of men. But one day, all that's going to be entirely set aside. And the real thing is going to be experienced. There are some who are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. There are others who are going to be manifested with him 
not in the air, but in glory. And their life is absolutely untouchable. Their life is hid. The mystery is hid. And it's going to be a blaze of glory beyond our dreams when that day is reached. The uh, epistle to the Ephesians makes a little suggestion. It's controversial, a bit the translation. But it says in chapter 1, uh, where you get the election, the choice of the Father, and the redeeming work of the Son, and then we have the witness of the Spirit. Verse 13, In whom he also trusted, and now that word trust, in verse 12, which is carried over, is the word hope. Not merely the word trust, but the word hope. There's a slight difference between hope and trust, so let's put the word back as we're dealing with the hope so much. It says, In whom ye also, after ye heard, ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of the inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. In verse 12, the little clause that is a bit debatable, are the words, who first trusted or hoped in Christ. Does this mean, who first put their trust in Christ, who are, are a, a company, who are four hopers? That's the way the word looks in the original. You say, what's a four hoper? Well, it's an uncouth sort of word in English. But supposing these were the ones who were going to enter into their glory first. They are four hopers and sealed by the Spirit for that inheritance. And it's in harmony with Colossians. These are going to enter into their inheritance when Christ is manifested in glory. Then others are going to enter into that inheritance when he's manifested in the heavens. And others are going to meet him in the air. And some are going to be with him when his feet stand upon the Mount of Olives. They should look upon him whom they pierced. There's all sorts of phases. But it's quite in harmony with the high calling of the church of the one body and this dispensation of the mystery that they should be four hopers. Their hope taking place first of all. And so we've got the emphasis in these scriptures on the high calling. Indeed it is. And this church entrusted to Paul as the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Um, let's come back again. Oh, one other passage um, I want to look at now. We'll go back to Colossians to pick it up once more, then move on to another epistle. He says in um, chapter 3, if this is your calling, if this is your hope, set your affection on things above. That is to say, it's not enough to just casually say, oh, I believe that, and then go mixing up with the world, the flesh, and the devil, as though it doesn't matter. Because you are then making the question come, have you got the hope at all in you? He that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. 
says the epistle of John. If you entertain this hope, it'll have a purifying effect. If you're talking about the second coming, is one thing. If you attend second advent meetings, it's one thing. But if you set your affection on things above, where Christ did it, it's a very different thing. Now let's look at the other passage we have in mind in this connection. Turn to the epistle of Titus, where we have this appearing once more mentioned. And notice the exceedingly practical context in which this high glory is associated. Never let us feel that there is a chasm between your manner of life and the glorious hope that you're looking for. They should in some measure reflect one another. Titus. Verse 9. Exhort servants. Now these servants were slaves. They had no trade union. They were slaves. To be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not back answering and not purloining. Well, that evidently is very up to date. Back answering and pinching, purloining. All sorts of other words are used to camouflage the fact that it's stealing. That's a dreadful thing that's going on. Language is being distorted in order to solve your conscience. In fact, I, I know that builders, particularly, when they're making their costings out, they have to be by margin for the amount of wood and lead pipe and things that they have worked with and they're going to take home. But they're not thieving, or they're only half-inching or pinching or whatever it is, solving their conscience. But those who have this blessed hope, they couldn't do it. Otherwise they would begin to lose faith and lose the bright prospect. And so it says here, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity. Now, never mind what the effect is upon your master or upon the wages you get. Look at this effect. That they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour in all things. Isn't that a wonderful thought that a poor slave in the days of the Apostle Paul could not only believe the doctrine of God our Saviour, but even adorn it, beautify it. Well, if they could do it then, it's something that we should have in mind at least as a possibility still. Adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour in all things. I always like to remember myself of Ruskin's definition of ornament. He was very opposed to the idea of slapping a thing together and then sticking a bit of ornament on the corner so you didn't see it was a bad joint. He said, ornament is the added love of a workman. He can't leave it alone. He's so enjoying his work, he puts a bit of added love to it. He says, that's ornament. Well, friends, that's pretty true about Christianity, isn't it? The added love of a believer. Not really putting on airs to disguise a fault, but putting on something because you can't help it, because you love it so. And we'll leave it at that. Now he goes on further. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. It's appeared. So God has manifested something. And it's the grace of God. And God is going to manifest something else. It's the glory of God. He will give both grace and glory. 
And again, we could stop, couldn't we say, if we do not know the grace of God, it's empty to talk about glory. There's no glory for you or for me except by his grace that puts us in Christ and deals with our sin and makes us accepted. We know that. Well, let's go on then. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly. Now, the word sober today is often restricted to the question of strong drink. And it's got a meaning. But the word sober is made up of the word salvation. Even the English word starts with S-O, and the word salvation in the Greek starts with S-O, and the word sober means a salvation mind, if you could have such an idea, a mind that's in harmony with a saved person. So it's not merely old sober sides who never laughs. It's not somebody with a grim face. It's somebody who's got a mind that's been touched by grace. A salvation mind. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing. Here it is. The appearing of the glory, the manifesting of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. Now the word peculiar can have more than one meaning. If a person doesn't go with a swim, he's looked upon as being peculiar. Well, that's the truth, friends. I don't know whether you're called peculiar by your friends and relatives, but if you're never being called that, I don't think you're very much different, are you? Now, don't go and play the fool in order to be called peculiar, but seek to walk in harmony with your high calling. And they won't forget to give you the title. But then the word peculiar means something more, more wonderful. A peculiar people was a people of his own possession, a prize, a jewel, as it says in the Old Testament. And so we got now zealous of good works. Now, let's go back again and leave some of the words out and get the thread of it. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation teaches us that we should live looking. Then you fit it all in. Is that the character that we have? That we've been taught by grace to set our affection on things above. To live looking. We won't have our head in the air so that we never do a practical thing. It may be we shall work better. We shall be more useful to others. We shall be a blessing instead of a nuisance if we live looking. We certainly shan't be money grabbers because if we live looking for that blessed hope, we'll realise what tinsel there is that folks are devoting their precious lives to accumulate and then leave it all behind. And so we have this who gave himself for us, that looking for that blessed hope. That's what he calls it. It is a blessed hope, isn't it? So Colossians says, the hope of glory. Here it says, the blessed hope. Ephesians speaks about those who are in a state of being forehopers. And whether you're a forehoper, or whether you belong to the blessed hope, or whether your life is hid with Christ in God, glory 
glory beyond dreams is waiting for you when the battle is over. Or may we take courage from these things. Set our affection on things above. Seek to walk worthy of such a calling. And be very grateful that he ever opened our eyes to see both our need of a saviour and to live looking for that blessed hope. Well, that's as far as I feel I can go this evening, friends. And if there's much that I left out that you were anticipating, I'll give you the joy of filling it in for your own edification and blessing, blessing to others.